0: Hello, this is Romp, a podcast with me, Murray and each show I'll have a guest on to tell their tales of gay dating BG Before Grindr From coming out to dating and finding love in an age before the smartphone we'll have stories of cottaging, cruising and clubbing The best date, the worst date, the weirdest and the one that got away Join us as we talk and laugh about shagging in the 60s sex in the 70s and being naughty in the 90s don't know what we did in the 80s. I don't think anybody had sex in the 80s. Welcome along to episode seven of the Romp podcast. Now, this is part two of my conversation with Mark. So if you've listened to part one, which is episode six, I'm already confused by the numbers as well, uh, then you'll know that uh, there is uh, lots of explicit language and talk of sexual acts and the like uh, throughout the show. Uh This second episode takes us from Japan, uh, where Mark lived for a number of years, and then on to Thailand. Uh, Eventually he moves back to the UK, uh, living in Cleethorpes and Grimsby, and also gets uh, a job in Sheffield. The time period that we're looking at is the 90s and uh, early noughties, and in this episode you'll hear the word Gaijin, which means a foreigner in Japanese. You'll also hear Hentai, and I'll let him uh, translate that one for you. We've got cruising in Japan. We've got stealing bicycles. We've got orgies. We've got not-so-vegetarian gravy. And we've got also explicit descriptions of uh, the death of his father. So, uh, yes, again, nervous disposition things and all that.
1: This podcast contains adult themes, so those of a nervous disposition should turn off
0: now. So we'll pick up the episode. Uh, He's just arrived in Japan. It's his first night living in a little hut with six mats on the floor. He's been to the 7-Eleven to buy himself some food and he thinks he's about to make a cheese and tomato sandwich. Um, So then I
1: arrive, so I'm in Japan and I arrive at Narita and all I've been given was this list of directions to get into Tokyo. I'm thinking I'm freezing. It's fucking snowing. Which train do I catch? And I arrive. I eventually get this train which takes me into Tokyo. And then I've got to meet this woman at a station by the big Buddha. And I'm there, and I'm frozen. And this woman comes up to me and she says, "Follow me." And well, not well, not quite like that, but you know, "Follow, follow me, follow me." In Japanese. Um, so I start following her. And I've got two great big suitcases. Gay men don't travel like... She's like a little whippet going down all the fucking alleyways. I'm like, hang on, love. I can't keep up with you. And she says, eventually we get to this little wooden house thing. And she said, this is your apartment. Well, we go in. It was like a corridor. There was a six mat to Tammy. And a, there was no kitchen. It was just like a one of those little... Toaster ovens and a little squatty toilet thing in a cupboard. God. And I thought, oh my God, what have you gone and done? And she said, here is your introduction pamphlet. Tomorrow you'll come to Fujisawa and we go through blah, 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 blah. And she fucked off. And she said, if you're hungry, 7 Eleven, end of the street. So I was—I was fucking starving. I hadn't eaten since the plane. So I go down to the Seven Eleven and buy what I think is a lump of cheese and some bread and tomatoes, and go back to my little six-room, six-mat Tammy where there's a little paraffin heater which I was trying to get working. Unrolled my um, futon. I thought, well, I'll make myself a cheese and tomato sandwich. So I started to butter the bread and slice the tomatoes, and I opened what was shit. It's fucking tofu. Ooh. I bought a so I had a tofu <laughs> and tomato sandwich. It was like, what have I done? And on the first page, it said, "In the event of an earthquake, take your futon and sit under the table." So I didn't get past the second page because I was exhausted. So I kind of turned off the light, which was one of those swingy lights in the middle Mm -hmm. and just collapse. And I'm dreaming and I'm dreaming that the house is moving, that I'm on a boat and it's moving. And I opened my eyes and the house was fucking moving because it was an earthquake. So... It was a good job that I'd read the first page. So I dragged the food on under the table, plucked it on my head, got my cheese and tofu sandwich, and sat there for the rest of the night thinking, You've fucked up again. You have completely fucked up. What have you gone and done? And that was the start of my seven years in Japan. Seven now, years, wow. It was pretty it was pretty barren mm. because you know, being gay in Japan, I mean, apart from going clubbing in Tokyo, which was hard because there was only about two bars that would allow foreigners in. Okay. Because, you know, they were very kind of gaijin. They didn't want gaijins. They wanted to keep it all japanese And so there was only two
0: bars that I could actually go to. As gay bars and, or just and or general for foreigners? Bars. Uh, Are these straight bars or gay bars? No, these were gay bars. Okay, there was
1: so an area there. in Tokyo mm. called Shinjikonu Chome, which was the gay area. Mm. And in that area, there was all these little bars, but they were Japanese only. Right. And there was only two bars that allowed foreigners in for lang, like a gaijin. Uh, but, of course, they were all full of gaijin. And by that point, I'd become a bit of a rice queen. No, so I just No, surely to be not. In, you know,
0: Yeah, other Uh, expats who don't want them.
1: I thought, this is getting really bad. I'm not getting a shag. Because I'm going into these bars and there's all gaijins looking for Japanese men. You know, I'm missing out. So I didn't quite know what to do about it because I didn't really speak Japanese either because that was a little bit difficult. Well, I'd I'd, I'd started having lessons with the lovely Michiko, but it gets very humid in the Japanese summer. And, of course, because it's Japan, you don't lock your door. So all my doors are open. And this one particular Monday morning, I'd forgotten I had a Japanese lesson. And I was naked on my futon. And I heard the door open. And in comes Michiko. And I jumped up Well, Michiko got an eyeful, shrieked, fled. I never saw Michiko again. And that was the end of my Japanese lessons. <laughs> Um, so I, I couldn't really communicate that well. So I decided that then someone gave me a little scooter, a little moped scooter, which I thought was very kind. So I could just scooter around because I was a great do fan. That?
0: Why would someone give you a scooter? Because
1: three months before I'd come back from a night out with a friend, Jan, who was very gangly and athletic and we were both drunk and I said oh I really can't I really can't be bothered to walk home let's steal a bicycle <laughs> so going around and of course it's Japan everyone rides the bicycle yeah. so we're going along the bicycle checking for the lock i so know we find too that we managed to break the lock off and because Jan is a lot more athletic than I am he was way ahead of me as I was kind of trying, because I'm a bit chubby, I was trying to kind of, you know, and I also I was drunk as well, so I was puffed out and I'm a smoker, uh, and I see the flashing lights, and I'm thinking, fuck, it's the police. So I jump off my bicycle quickly and just start walking Well, they'd arrested Jan, they'd got Jan in handcuffs, yeah. and they said to me something in Japanese, I said, don't be arrest police station, goodbye. I said, don't be ridiculous, I'm British, you can't arrest me, I'm British, and just walked off in the other direction, leaving poor Jan to spend the night in the cells. So I was telling this story to a friend, and she said, I've got a little moped, you can have my little moped to go around, because it was, you know, I didn't didn't like walking. Um, So... I'm on this moped one night and I thought, well, I'll just go and every little part of Japan's got a fucking castle that they rebuild every ten years. And the bit where I was living had a rebuilt castle and a zoo. I thought I'll have a little scooter around mm. the castle and see what so this is about ten o'clock at night. So I'm oh, scooting around the castle oh, and looking at the elephant and the bear, and I park up and I have a cigarette. And I'm aware of something to the left of me. I kind of looked to the left. Was it
0: another? And there bear? was this penis. Mm. There was this
1: this <laughs> penis being gently rubbed up and down. Oh. And I thought, what on earth is going on? Well, what on earth is going on? Apparently, at night time, the zoo and the children's playground had a double function. All the queens came out and cruised. Well, I was so annoyed with myself that I'd been living there for two years and I didn't realise that this was going on. So I went out and bought myself some sports clothes because I thought I need a ruse because if I get caught (laughs) I can say that I'm jogging. So Every night, I used to I used to go home, get changed. I used to finish work about ten, so I'd get home about ten thirty, change into my running clothes, get on my scooter, and go to the castle, and then just cruise for mm. cock. Mm. And I was there. And, one... it, and I
0: assume this is Japanese cock. It's not just the expat Japanese cock. Yeah, yeah.
1: Japanese, Japanese cock. I was the exotic. I cover. was going to say.
0: I bet you were. Then it's.
1: The centre of attention. It was very good. I didn't really have to do much, except just turn off in my running shoes. (laughs) Um, One particular evening, I was there in the bush sucking off a Japanese soldier. And all of a sudden, there were lights. Mm. And he said, don't move. I said, well, I can't move. I'm on my knees with your cock in my mouth. I mean, what do you... And it was the police... And it's in, you know more danger for him yeah. than it was for me because he was a he was a, in the army in the Japanese army. Mm-hmm. It would have been disastrous for him to be revealed with being in a bush with a little foreign man sucking his willy. Um, anyway, the the lights move on and we finish up and he goes off and I kind of emerge from the bush and start running, <laughs> but I run straight into the fucking police. <laughs> And they uh, going hentai, hentai. I said, "I'm sorry, I don't speak any Japanese. This is my exercise. I'm doing my exercises. Hentai, hentai. Da da da, dame, dame, hentai." I said, "Goodbye. Have a lovely evening." Started running. It's for the first time I'd fucking run in about fucking three years. I then had to go and continue running until I got round the end of the fucking zoo thingy. So I thought, "I wonder what hentai means." So the next day I go into my, the, go into my, go teach my classes and we have Japanese receptionists. And I said, um, I said, Junko, I said, I, I've come across a new word that I don't, I've, I i don't know what it means. Could you translate it for me? She said, yeah, sure. I said, what does the word hentai mean? And she, she, she blushed. She said, "Oh, that's very, very bad word. Where you heard this word?" Oh. I said, "Oh, I can't remember, but I just, I just, it just stuck in my head." She said, "It means
0: pervert." <laughs> <laughs> the-
1: So I thought, well, I'm going to have to be a little bit more careful when I go running. Well, I never did go running, but hanging out. So about two months later, I'm there. And it was a bit of a quiet night. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he appeared. And it was like, oh, my God. I've been doing this for three years and I have never seen... Anything as amazing as you, and it was a full leather daddy.
0: Okay.
1: He had the sh- he had the hair, he had the harness, he had the nipple rings. Everything was taught. While I just flung myself in his direction, up oh, the- oh,
0: round the castle, and what up oh, 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 round the castle? Yeah, and castle. Oh, and
1: even though there was a thousand fucking cockroaches running on the floor. I didn't care. It was just like, you are just, oh, my God. And his cock, his cock was big and thick and juicy. It was like Christopher all over again. Oh. And it was like, I don't, oh, where have you been? Anyway, yeah. Um, I never saw him again. I oh. so only had that brief, it was like brief encounter, yeah. and then he fucked off.
0: Puff of steam. Um,
1: so then, after about being in, I thought I can't keep doing this. This is all I'm doing is hanging out round a fucking children's playground at night. This is <laughs> it, 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 you know mm. my sex life isn't going anywhere. So at that point, I'd gone up to Shinjikoni Chome and I'd bought a book called Boys of Thailand. And I'd read this, and I thought, oh my God, this sounds like paradise. So I booked a holiday to Thailand for fire and ended up staying in a hotel called The Ambiance in Boys Town. And there was cock everywhere. So I thought, I've got to leave Japan. <laughs> I have to leave Japan. I have to come and live in Thailand. Oh, my God. So I went to live in Thailand. I'd, I'd managed to kind of get this job in Thailand. And it was fabulous because there was no foreigners there at that point. It was, what? when was that? It was early 2000s. So it was before, before people had really started going yeah. to Thailand. So, again, I was the exotic other. And I used to go to a club called DJ Station. And there was all these Thai men that wanted to fuck me. And it was just like, it would have been rude to say no. <laughs>
0: And, when in and
1: there was one guy. There was one. There was one night I went there, and there's one guy. And again, he was a leather daddy. He'd got the harness on. He'd got the leather pants, the leather boots. He had the muscles. He had the tattoos. He'd got the shaved head. And it was I was I was dripping. And he he said, "Come and dance." Mm. I thought, and I, so I am looking round, thinking there is someone behind me that he's talking to. And I couldn't believe my luck. So I make my way through the throng of bodies and we start dancing. And you know, with the, the vibe, the vibe was there. Mm-hmm. So I thought, fuck this, let's go home. I don't want to be dancing. I want you to take you home and you can do me. Mm-hmm. So we get a taxi, we go back to my apartment, and we're, you know, we're kind of kissing and gently licking his nipples to say revealed for the harness. the harness. yeah. And then we get into the bedroom and all these all these bits and bobs come off. Um and my clothes come off. And then he throws his legs back in the air, <gasps> no. and it's like
0: no, no, no,
1: oh, no. No, no, you can't be, <laughs> you can't be a bottom. No. Everything about you says top. It's like now, what the fuck do we do, Nick? <laughs> it's like what? Nah, how can? I?
0: Uh, that, that's one of the joys, isn't it? Of, of I imagine, <clears throat> of modern internet-based dating, you know what you're up for and they're up for before you've even met.
1: Well, I then made a point of asking. I thought Mm. it may be rude, but I thought I'm not doing this again. Um, And Thailand was rather lovely because I then got to my 32nd birthday and I thought, what haven't you had? What haven't you... What would you like for your 32nd birthday? What gift could you give yourself that you haven't had?
0: So this is about 2002, 2002? 2003, is
1: it? About 2002. 2002. 2002. Yeah. So I thought I've never had an orgy. Oh, hello. Yeah. I thought I've never had an orgy, So I decided that night I was going to go out to one of the boy bars and I was going to off everyone in the big cock show. <laughs> so I took myself off to one of the more salubrious boy bars and when the big cock show came on, I said to the mama son, I'll have number 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. Here's X thousands of bars. And I said I, got, I said, I want you to tell them the address, and they're all to come back to my apartment. So I made my way to the apartment, and about... 20 minutes later, number 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, all turned up no. and fucked me. <laughs> and that was my birthday present to myself. <laughs> that was my orgy. Wow. Was it a good time? I, I had a fabulous time. There was, there was, there was, I had a cock in each hand, a cock in my mouth, a cock in my bum. It was. I thought this is the best birthday present I've ever ever, <laughs> and I'm so glad that I've done it because I look back now and I thought, well, if I hadn't done that, I would mm. have never, I'd have never had a gangbang. No,
0: um,
1: and they were all focused on me because I was paying them. Okay. It was all about me. It was and, wonderful.
0: And what was the cost? Because I don't. What was the exchange rate? Right oh, it was there? cheap as
1: chips. Really? I mean, thousand bar then. So what was a thousand bar? A 1,000 baht was like £10, so wow. it cost me £100 for a wow. gangbang.
0: Excellent. I right. mean, you couldn't, couldn't buy a dildo for that now. <laughs> um, well, not a good one.
1: And then I met Shared, because I was getting a bit fed up with the money boy scene, so... Bangkok so you, had you continued
0: paying for it, you said? Is that when you said the money bought? Oh, yeah, because yeah. it was just
1: easy. You could yeah. go out, you could get drunk. You didn't have to do all that. You just think, I could just go to a bar and get number 26 and go yeah. over and it'll fuck uh, okay. uh, It was easy. Um, and I had no issues with paying for sex or sex mm-hmm. workers. They, uh, You know, they had to make a living. I yeah. had to get fucked. It was a mutual you know, blah, transaction. Blah, blah. One summer, me and my friend Dan were listening to the Bangkok Philharmonic in the centre of Bangkok, in Lupini Park. And we were both discussing, we were getting a little bit jaded with the money boy scene. There must be a different, there must be somewhere where you can go to meet people that are not money boys. So we got talking to this Thai guy, he said, you need to go. To the park opposite Sanam Luang, which is the um, well, Po, the big palace where the kings live. Mm-hmm. So one Saturday night, instead of going down Silom and Soi Four, which is the gay area, me and Dan got in a taxi and schlepped off to Sanam Luang to the temple to try and find this fucking park. Um, or well, we couldn't find it. All we could all we could see was a load of bushes. And I said, well, that's not a park. That's just a load of bushes. Um, he said, well, let's go in. So we went in and we're doing the lab. And then there was some man there with his cock hat I said, well, we're in the right place. <laughs> I said, let's go further into the bushes. So we go into the bushes and I spy what was to become my boyfriend, Cher, who was a soldier, who had just been released from the army. And I made a beeline because he was absolutely rock-dead fucking gorgeous. Dan, meanwhile, was being swacked by his little friend who'd got something from a bush and kept hitting him. So all I could hear was Dan saying, stop it, stop it. I think he was into S&M. Um So shared, and I then started seeing each other. Now, he couldn't speak a word of English, my Thai was not that great. So I thought I better start to learn Thai. Um, and he said, I am king. Because the word gay then in Thailand was a very Western construct and mm. people didn't use it. you were either king or queen. He said, I am king. I am king. So when we'd be walking down the street, you know, if I was walking on the outside of the pavement, he would move me. So I was on the inside of the pavement oh. and he would carry all the bags. Well, of course I loved it. Oh. You know, I, I didn't have to lift a thing didn't have to do anything. Um, and then we had a trip to his village. Dan decided let's have a trip to his village. No. So we go up to his village, which is in the middle of fucking nowhere in Isan. Um, what was it? What was his village called? Something in the Poom, I think it was. Um, And he was one of a twin, and his father had died. So I said, well, we can't go empty-handed. We need to go and get some supplies to take to your mother as a gift. So we get to the market and buy a bag of rice, and we get some vegetables, and I buy a saucepan. He comes back with a fucking pig and three chickens. So we're in the car, and I'm looking at this pig and chicken thinking, well, I'm... I'm I'm kind of vegetarian. I know what's going to happen to this pig and the three chickens. Were well, they alive, about...
0: this pig and three chickens?
1: Yeah, there's a baby pig and three chickens <laughs> in the back of the fucking car squawking with vegetables and rice.
0: And I mean, we you know, were with going.
1: It, driving down this dirt track till we eventually get to Shred's house, which is not a house. It was more of a dwelling, because there was the cow underneath well, the cow had the bottom part of the house. Yeah. And then there was a big urn, which was the bathroom, and a mattress. And that was it. And it's like, I don't think I can do this. I really don't think I can do this. I think I'm having a panic attack. Um, it's like surely there's a hotel that we could stay in. Um and Dan was saying, don't be silly, this would be fine. So Shred's mother was completely fine with her son having a foreign boyfriend. So much so that she gave us the mattress for the night, which I didn't get a wink of sleep because there was a fucking thousand mosquitoes buzzing around and spiders and snakes. It's like, this is just hellacious. I said, I can't. I said, I'm sorry, Shred. We're going to have to go and book into a hotel. I said, um... He said, well, let's go have breakfast. Let mother make breakfast. Come with me. So I'm going with him and this old man who's got a bow and arrow. And I'm thinking, where the fuck are we going now? So we go down to the end of the village where there's these three most anorexic looking chickens that you've seen in your life, which he then, one of them gets shot with a bow and arrow, which is breakfast. It's like, no, no, I no, no, I can't, no, I can't do this. I can't, I, no, no. So I said, I said, I said, 20 minutes down. I said, 20 minutes, then we've got to get into the car and we've got to drive away from this place and we've got to check into the nearest hotel because I'm about to scream. I can't do it. I can't do it.
0: This is the Romp Podcast.
1: So I was seeing Shared for about six months. Mm-hmm. And then... I had to come back to England because my mother fell and broke her neck and became paralyzed. I was going to ask, how do you to have had much operation. contact
0: with them in all that time anyway, since you've been really, thrown no. out? No, nothing. Not
1: really. Um, and when I got back to Bangkok, Dave and Dan said, oh, we're going to take you out for dinner because we've got something to tell you. I said, oh, gossip. What is it? Um, dish. Dish the dirt girls. Spill the tea. And they said, well, um, Shared's been working as a rent boy while you've been in England and he's been to Australia and Singapore and blah, 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 blah.
0: Mm.
1: And it's like, oh.
0: How did they know? Because
1: in Bangkok, there are two soys, there are two little streets. One called Soy 4, where the bars are, where all the Moneyball boys work. And then there's DJ Station, the disco sort of too. And so it's almost, you you know, I'd gone down to an island um, on my own, oh God, about six months before. And I'm sat on the island and I look across and I see Dan's boyfriend there with another guy. And it's like, oh, okay. And, you know, everybody... It's too small. Everybody was at it. I mean, a friend of mine. It's like, hold. He was living with a guy, and this guy was having a house built. So he lived with this guy in Bangkok. And this guy, this Thai guy was having a house built in his village, in Mama and Papa's village. Well, he had a German, an English, an Australian, and a French guy. And I don't he was like a CEO because one flew in. And the other one flew out and they were all buying the same fucking house wow. in the village. And I said to him, what are you going to do when they all retire? And he said, "He, he said I'm banking on them dying. <laughs> he said, they'll all be dead by the time he said, I'll just have the house. So they, they were operating. And I, hmm. I thought, well, you know what? Good luck to you. I've been shagging around, so I can't be too precious about it. So that was the end of Shared. And then I kind of came back to England because Dad was dying, and mm. I thought I'll look after him. And then I started the PhD part time at Sheffield. So, so let's
0: let's do family for a second, because you know you've kind of brushed over mother's paralysed, Dad's dying. So you you know there's obviously still you wanted to be supportive and and have some kind of relationship with. Well, I kind of
1: I've like? kind of made peace mm. with the parents. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the Buddhism had kind of shown me that, you know, it really wasn't about me. It was about them and they were products of their generation and Absolutely. it didn't really matter what they thought and yeah. blah, 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 blah. You know, and i would kind of gone back. I'd gone back. And then my sister started breeding and having having children. And, you know, she was she'd married this really annoying social worker who was so right on. It just made, you know, he brought me out in hives because you'd say to him, you know, would you like a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? And he'd say, well, um, what kind of tea do you have? Is it L'Apsant souchong or is it... Well, I said, no, it's tetlis <laughs> It's Tetlis tea. That's all we have. <laughs> well... Uh, do you have any lemon? I said, no, we've got milk. What do you have have lemon for in your tea? He was annoying. He was annoying. Yeah. And he was vegetarian and the rest of it. That's most annoying, isn't
0: it? No, I I I, I just, I didn't like it. You were vegetarian at the time.
1: I know, but I was a different kind of vegetarian—a um, <laughs> meat-eating vegetarian. I was well. I kind of realised in Thailand that you couldn't be vegetarian because everything came with meat. Yeah. So unless I was going to eat stringy beans for six years, I might as well break down and start eating pork and beef and chicken again. Mm. So I used to go back because um, the parents were getting elderly, and you know we'd go back for Christmas. Uh, because the kids were there and, you know, Uncle Mark was fun and I would do the cooking. Mm. And it was there one particular Christmas. And he said, said, is there there any vegetarian gravy, Mark? I said, said, I'm so sorry, John. So sorry. I forgot. I'll just go and get you some. So I went into the kitchen and got a sieve, And I decanted some of the giblet gravy into a little bowl. And took it back. I said, this is specially made, my own recipe. (laughs) This is delicious. You must give it the recipe. I said, said, "I'm afraid it's a secret." I (laughs) said, "My my vegetarian gravy is is a secret." I thought he didn't know the fucking difference. It's got (laughs) it's got chicken giblets in it. That's why it tastes so good. Um. Um. So where was I? So yeah, so I'd gone back. So I'd gone back one particular. I don't why. I don't know why I'd gone back. I, I never understood why I went back, but I was there. I'd arrived late one night, and the next morning I get up and I'm having my coffee and my first cigarette of the day, and Mother's there in her, her room, shuffling the pills into her mouth. Um, and before I had chance to take my first draw, she said, don't you ever want to be happy? And I said, what? He said, don't you ever want to be happy? I said, what are you on about? He said, you're a homosexual. Don't you ever want to? Wow. I said, I'm perfectly happy. I said, I'd be even happier if you shut the fuck up so I could have my cigarette and cup of coffee in peace. Half an hour later, my bags were packed. I was out the door and I was on the train to London thinking, I'm not, why, why did I come mm. back? Anyway, the old bitch fell off her rocker and broke her neck and was paralysed from the neck down. I mean, you know, calm is a bit. Um, <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. <laughs> but yes, it
0: is, isn't it? So
1: either she had to have an operation or go into a nursing home. Wow. So I'd flown back for this family conference. I thought, well, it's nothing to do with me. It's not my neck that's broken. It's mm-hmm. not me that's going to be in the nursing home mm-hmm. being given an enema every other day. Um... Anyway, she decided to have the operation. She had the operation. Everything went well. I flew back to Bangkok. I got into my flat in Bangkok. The phone went. It was my dad saying she was dying. I had to go back. I had to turn around, get a flight, get back to England. I didn't get back in time. She was dead. Oh. We buried her. And then I went back to Bangkok. Um... And then six months later, he started going down the fucking hill. Because And did they remain ended. together
0: throughout? Were they a, one of those happily married couples or were you separate?
1: Well, it was very convenient because I was convinced my father was a homosexual. Well, she had, opera queen. She had rheumatoid arthritis. So, I mean, that kind of ruled out intercourse. So she was the perfect beard. So they stayed together. Oh, my wife's disabled, we, don't, we can't have sexual relations, it hurts our hips. Um, hmm. She was the perfect beard, and I'm sure he was off kind of cottaging or doing whatever he was doing. Um, so I then decided to go back, because I thought, well, you know, shared, that's gone belly up. Um, how long have I been in Bangkok? Six years, maybe it's time to move on. Wanted to do a PhD. The old man's dying. I'll go back to Cleethorpe's. Nice. Holy motherfucker. Mm. It was like it hadn't changed Mm. from when I left when I was 16. It was like I never thought in a month of Sundays after living in London, Tokyo, Bangkok, I would end up in Cleethorpe's. Cleethorpes. I spent the first three weeks wrapped in the duvet saying, put the fucking heating on. It's freezing. It's cold. Jesus wept. Anyway, he lasted. He lasted about a year. Mm. Um, and one morning, I kind of got up, uh, and I thought, "Oh, he doesn't look very well." As he shuffled himself into the bathroom, and then I got this kind of deja vu feeling that something was not right. So I shouted out, "I said, Dad, Dad, are you okay?" And there was a silence. Now, normally I wouldn't have gone into the bathroom because that's his no. private space. Um, so I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll take the day off work. So I rang I rang, I rang, rang up work and said, I'm not coming in today. I don't think my dad's very well. Put the phone down, walked into the bathroom, and he was dead on the toilet. Oh, wow. And he'd had an aneurysm. So the wall facing the toilet was covered in blood because his heart had exploded and come out of his mouth. Oh, it was like, it was something like from a Stephen King horror film. Mm. And I'm like, oh, he's dead. That would have been instantaneous, wouldn't it? So I go and ring up 999 and said, I think my dad's dead. And they said, go in. And I said, no, I said, he's dead. He's dead on the toilet. I mean, it was very Joe Ortonish. You know what I mean? It was kind of there. He was having a crap, and his heart explodes, and it's all on the. And it's like, and it's like, I can't clean up crap. I can't. <laughs> there was a big turd on the floor, and it's like, I can't. I can't. I'm just like, I was gagging. You know, I was starting to gag. It's like. It it was like being in a Joe Orton play. Mm. It was like there was the one had to manoeuvre around the turd to get, you know, and the ambulance man came and he said, I said, I can't. I said, I can't come and hold his legs. I said, there's a turd on the floor. I said, and he's on the toilet. What do we do with the turd? We can't put the turd into the toilet because the dad's on the toilet. I said, I can't go in there. I said, it's too much for me. So then all the family came round. And, of course, they... John... The only only good thing I can say about John is that he picked up the turd and cleaned the turd. (laughs) Um, um, And, of course, then the old man's dead. So I'm thinking, well, now what the fuck do I do? Mm -hmm. Do I go back to Thailand? Uh, Because I was doing the PhD part-time. Or do I stay here and do nothing? And then... The university, Jackie, the lovely Jackie, said, We think your proposal is meritorious of an ASRC award, an Economic and Social Research Council grant. And I thought, you must be kidding love. They're not gonna give me four years worth of funding to research gay men's literacy practices. That is not gonna happen. That It doesn't happen. No, not they're not going to say, there's some puffing in Grimsby. We're looking going to interest in what what, what Queen's read when they were teenagers. Let's give him some money to go and study it. It's like, nah. So I thought, I'll just fuck off back to Thailand. So about two weeks later, the envelope pops through the door, and it was very thin, which you can always tell the very thin ones, the rejection ones. Mm. So I thought, fuck this. I'll go and have a drawing and I just left the envelope on the table. So for the next three days, I kept walking around the envelope like a bad smell. (laughs) Um, And I thought, well, just get it over with, because you need to make plans. Anyway, I opened the envelope, and much to my amazement, that offered me the fucking money. I thought, I can't believe this. So I ended up at Sheffield University for four years doing this one plus three thing. Um having a rather splendid time um playing around. And I'm there, I'm there one day in the kind of staff slash student room where everyone came in to make coffee. And I'm, you know, I was a bit cowed. Um, I'd got two E's at A level. I'd spent three years being a tomato as an undergraduate drama student. Um and I'd spent the rest of my time fucking around Asia. Mm. Um, and here I was at a Russell Group university with all these really clever people. And I felt like an imposter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm going to get found out. And so I, I didn't say anything. I just sat, you know, which is not like me at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I can talk mm. under wet cement. Yes. Uh, so I just used to go in and be really quiet and quite, you know, quite proper. And I'm in this, the staff room one day and the head of school comes in. This man, I won't say the name because you're recording it, but he was the head of school. He sits next to me and he says, Tell me, what do you think about anal sex? Oh. And I was like, um Um He said, because I've I've seen in heterosexual pornography an increase in the prevalence of anal sex. Mm. Do you think that there is some connection between gay pornography and heterosexual pornography. I said, well, I don't really know because I don't look at heterosexual pornography. So I shuffled off and went to speak to Pat, my supervisor. I said, you'll never believe what so-and-so has just said to me. She said, you have to report it. I said, why? She said, he was coming on to you. He's shagging He's shagging, and I won't say the name of the other person that he was shagging in the Mm. department, and he's a known bisexual. A known bisexual? He was coming on to you. I said, well, I can't. I said, I've only just started. I can't (laughs) make a complaint against the head of the school. It will ruin my academic career. And he wasn't propositioning me for anal sex. He was just asking me what Mm. I thought about it. And I think it's quite nice, actually. Um, I said, no, I'm not going to do
0: anything um, about it.
1: So... I ended up getting my PhD. And... So, what
0: what do gay young well, gay men read then? What was it Was it you know what were it the books was really
1: the interesting because there was there was there were five of us and we were all at the same age. So we all we all grew up in the mid eighties, hmm. and you know the zeitgeist of the age was incredible incredibly homophobic john handerton was coming out saying homosexuals swirling around mm. in a cesspit of their own making isn't it, it amazing that's been mentioned in was,
0: virtually every single podcast i've done that's phrase yeah. has stuck with us hasn't it yeah uh
1: there was paragraph 16 i mm. went on the yeah. Yeah. people Scott forget articles. about paragraph 16 yeah yeah I went on the Stop the Claws rally in Manchester Mm. and there was Sheila from Brookside speaking and it was all rather lovely. Um, But this one guy talked about, he lived in a village outside of Sheffield and he talked about every Saturday morning he would go into Sheffield on the bus with his mum Um, And she would go off shopping and he would go to the library. And he he described this one particular morning when they were on the bus and his mother turned around to him and said, see that man, see that man over there. Don't be like him. Wow. Because this man was sat on his own. And what his mother was saying was not don't be gay. She was saying... Don't be unhappy. Don't Hmm. don't be lonely. So this chap goes into Sheffield Library and he finds this book called Strange Landscape by a guy called Tony DeVert and started reading this book. Now, I tracked this book down. It cost me about £300 and I had to order it from America. And it's quite an amazing piece of literature. But... There's a section in it where it talks about peg boys. And peg boys was the Victorian name for rent boys. Mm. And they were trained to sit on wooden pegs of different diameters. So first of all, they would sit on a little peg, and then the peg used to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger till it was a really big peg so they could take big cocks. And he said, after reading that in the book, I decided I was never going to be a bottom. And I was like, what? He said, I said, you decided from reading a couple of paragraphs in a book that you were going to be a top. He said, yeah. He said, I wasn't going to be a bottom. I wasn't going to have that stuck up my arse. And of course, now we've got the contemporary practice of pegging Mm. where women wear dildos to fuck men up the
0: arse and is it the same so it's word? very interesting yeah.
1: when you think of the genealogy yeah. and the use of language um wow so he was he was you know so you know we used to meet up at my friend's house and i really worried because it was like nothing like what i thought doing field work was like because my friend would make dinner we would all drink gin and smoke joints and sing songs from the show tunes, I'm thinking. I'm sure this is not what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm doing a PhD. Um, and of course, everyone was talking about sex. Mm-hmm. We weren't talking. And I, said, I, said, my, I said, "Well, what about the books? You yeah, know, I, I, I want to talk about literacy," and they were talking about fucking. And one guy said, "We said, well, I went down to London last weekend." I'm like... He says, and then this guy had a thing for size, he really like rugby players' size. Mm-hmm. He said, and I met this guy in XXL and took him home, and I'm just going in to rim him. And what do you think happened? And we're like, what? What happened? And so there was a tuft of toilet paper sticking out of his ass. Oh. We said, oh, my God, what did you do? He said, well, I just plucked it off and continued. No. <laughs> It was like, oh my word, Uh, I've never heard of such a thing. Um, (laughs) And this guy that used to kind of go into Sheffield then told the story about how he'd be in his bedroom reading a book and his dad would come in and say, get yourself out into the cricket pitch and go and play on the cricket pitch, lad, with all the other lads. Why have you got your nose stuck in a book? And this chap turned around to his dad and said, "Because my life, or the life that I want, is not outside on the on the cricket patch. It's in in between the pages of these books. Uh, because there was nothing gay. There was mm-hmm. nothing gay in our environment. Mm-hmm. It was you know it wasn't there wasn't like now where there was the internet or grinder or." You could there was nothing, you know. So if you lived in Grimsby or if you lived in Birkenhead or if you lived in a little mining village, it's outside the South, you were the only one. And yes. the only, the only gay things that you found were in the pages of literature, were in Jean Genet, were in Oscar Wilde, that uh, spoke about the love that dare not speak its name. So, you know, we were all very literary, mm. not because necessarily we were bookish readers, because it was the only place where we could find references to people like us. Mm. So we read wildly, um, widely and wildly. <laughs> um, anyway, I got the PhD um, and then I'm stuck in Grimsby. Um and I thought, now what do I do? So I bought myself a dog. Um, I thought, well, if this, if this is it. This is your life. This is... You're stuck. So you might... Oh, I, I thought it was going to be... A, that's
0: another cover for cruising. You know, we've had sportswear. A dog's a bit easier yeah. on the old hips, isn't it?
1: So I got... I got a little Staffordshire Terrier, which I called Tallulah Sparkle. Oh, I know
0: Tallulah Sparkle. Um,
1: and used to walk Tallulah Sparkles around the woods. Yes. Mm. Where I met my drug dealer. Um, <laughs> Is this around Grimsby? You, in Reelsby Woods. He said, mm. Do you smoke? I said, Yes, I do. He said, No, do you smoke? I said, Yes, I do. So he said, Meet me here tomorrow. I'll give you a sample.
0: We'll leave, Mark pondering what's going to happen in the woods tomorrow let's hope he gets the sample that he deserves and we'll find out what happens to the drug dealer in episode three we'll also move with mark to australia and we'll uh, see how life's been there so the next episode will be along shortly until then thanks for listening and uh, if you want to take part in a future show you know you can get hold of me at uh, show at rompcast.com And you can see all the episodes on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. And you can also get them via the website at rompcast.com. I'm Murray, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers.